This is Ryan Harvey in Baltimore, and you're listening to episode 12 of Hope Dies Last. Italy, the coronavirus, and the crisis of austerity. Nothing is going to be as it was before the coronavirus. Really a terrible milestone, the death toll from COVID-19 in that country. People's idea that what's failing in Italy is a universal healthcare system is obscuring 20 years of slashing universal healthcare. 14% of those infected in those countries are healthcare workers. This crisis has sharply highlighted the irrational nature of a healthcare system structured around corporate profits. We need a well-funded, functioning national healthcare system to have a decent society. I'm sure many of us are listening to this episode from our houses, which we have not left much in the last couple of weeks. In Italy, it's been a month now of full quarantine, and the coronavirus has hit that country harder than anywhere else on the planet. One of the big questions a lot of people have been asking is why? Why Italy? Why did Italy get hit so hard? And Joe Biden and some of the other corporate Democrats have been using this as a talking point to discredit calls for Medicare for All, which I guess is a bit predictable. But the truth behind it, as both of my guests describe very well in this episode, is actually very different. Decades of austerity policies, which have been gutting Italy's public sector, including its healthcare system, have helped build the context for the crisis that we're seeing today. And it goes without saying that, like in the United States and elsewhere, the future of Italy has probably been altered by this situation, and there's a number of directions it could go in. My guest today is Francesco. He is part of the Italian grassroots political party Potere al Popolo. He is based in Napoli, in the south of Italy, where he is calling in from. And my co-host is my wife, Valentina. She is a labor organizer here in the U.S. She's also from Italy and is part of Potere al Popolo. Vale and Francesco, welcome to the show. And Francesco, why don't you give us an update on what's happening today in Italy and what it's looked like for the last month? Hi, Ryan. Thanks for inviting Putero Popolo here. Um, yes, like in Italy, to face the pandemic, there have been a series of measures got implemented by the government, I think, since the end of February. For instance, like school got closed on the 5th of March. Uh, there was a complete shutdown instituted on the 10th of March. Is Currently, everyone is forced to stay home and we are allowed to go out only for three main reasons. One is buying food, another one is for emergencies. And um, the third one is the one that... I think it's important to say that uh, there's a big contradiction here because uh, despite everyone is forced to stay home, there's a still a significant section of the population that under the threat of losing their income uh, have to go to work, have to wake up every morning, take public transport, go to workplaces, in most cases with hundreds of other fellow workers. So this is one of the main contradictions. There's no social life. Everything is closed. But there are still probably the 50 or 60% of the employees that are still going to work. What kind of jobs are those folks working in? Since the 25th of March, the government found an agreement with the institutional trade unions. And um, it was instituted that only essential production is allowed at the moment is functioning at the moment so there's a, like the struggle moved from trying to stop the what 
is like the production, the non-essential production, to the meaning of essential at the moment. There are several industrial sectors are still functioning, including weapon arms production and in some some sector of the coal centers, for instance. So the the fact that you know there are studies that they can they shows that even in Lombardy, one of the hotbeds of the contagion, the in the the whole month of March, the companies have been losing just sixteen between sixteen and twenty percent of the production, which is relatively low uh, for this like for this kind of emergency. I was wondering if you could talk about what the government is doing in terms of like uh, developing some emergency budget package in particular, because, of course, we all agree that we should shut down all non-essential production. But at the same time, clearly, those jobs are essential to the workers that depend (laughs) on those wages. Right. So is the government doing anything at all to address this issue and uh, if so what yes there are several few actually economic measures that have been implemented well uh, by the government not implemented yet but have been planned to protect workers and protect jobs uh, i don't think they are comparable to what is happening at the us at the moment where the stimulus is much higher but the Italian government instituted two main measures that provide a one-off grant to self-employed and people involved in sector like theater and and so on and there is also the extension of those economic measures that support workers who are temporarily not working in big companies and small companies uh, is about 70-80% of the usual salary. But what these measures don't include is actually a support to the um, informal sector, which is significant in particular in the south of Italy, but also all across the country. Actually, there's uh, millions of people working in the informal sector or between informal and formal are completely excluded by those measures, and so we we are pushing as also Potera Popolo for the like the planification planification of like the plan or the the institution of emergency in basic income, something that is related to the this emergency period, but can also probably be structured in a way that we can fight to keep it for the future. And yeah, and at the same time, yeah, this is what we're fighting for at the moment. And then there is also the fact that last week, uh, after two weeks of quarantine, there have been significant sections of the population and also the ones who are actually were working or were like in, in the formal sector who lost their job and lost their income and found themselves in a situation in which they couldn't go to work and at the same time they had to buy food for their families and so on. Um, there were in the South, there were several episodes of people going to the supermarket and trying to take food without paying because obviously there was no money. And since then, the government, well, firstly, they employed the army. So we found army at the entrance of supermarkets. 
uh, they're trying to discredit, the, the legitimize these events, saying that the, those events were connected to the organized crime. And then eventually, the day after, they decided to provide 400 millions uh, for people who live below the poverty line or have uh, no access to any other benefit, which is obviously ridiculous, is very little and is obviously not enough for the needs of the majority of the population at the moment. Can you talk about what the, like, what is the situation look like in the hospitals? Maybe you could just talk a little bit about what the crisis looks like in terms of healthcare workers and patients. I mean, like the the lockdown, the shutdown is actually a response, is an answer to the fact that um, the healthcare system can't, cannot cope with the numbers of patients who are overcrowding the hospital since the end of February, uh, in particular, particularly in the hotbeds of the contagion, which is Lombardy, which is actually one of the regions that has the best healthcare system in, um, in Italy. Um, so despite the fact that Italy has pretty advanced healthcare system and health is a fundamental right and is the national healthcare system, the public one provides universal coverage free of charge uh, for necessary treatments to everyone. Uh, despite that, the national healthcare system has been affected by decades of neoliberal policies and budget cuts, and it's resulted in a, in obvious a deterioration of the national healthcare system and its conditions. For instance, I don't know if you there there are several numbers at the moment. You know, it's on the news every day, and they talk they at the beginning of the of the pandemic, they were talking about the numbers of beds have been cut. So we have like uh, numbers like 17,000 beds since the 2000s. Uh, we have has been affected also by a process of decentralization, giving like the gave more power to the regions. And uh, there were like several regions who were affected, who had to go through further cuts. And there were mostly the regions in the south where the system has been like has deteriorated the most, um, and then there was there was also the introduction of contributions uh, towards uh, the service by individuals with tickets, and uh, they started with ten euros, and then they increased over the years, and obviously this resulted in two outcomes. One is many people had to give up on treatments, or in particular prevention examinations, and other people had to prefer to go private because it was pretty much the same price and you jumped all the queues you have to face when you go public. And this obviously prepared the ground for the, the emergency we are um, facing today. And and also for the fact that we the, the national health system was completely unprepared, and you can basically see the the fact that most of the doctors and the medical staff lacked of essential equip protective equipment, and and as a result of this, um, if you see the numbers today, I was reading it earlier. There are more than eighty doctors who have died since the beginning of the pandemic, and more than 10,000 medical staff that got infected by the COVID-19. So it's pretty grim. One of the talking points that the Democratic Party, of course, came up with uh, a few weeks ago was that, well, look at Italy. 
you know, uh, why do people want Medicare for all? Why do we want universal health care when, you know, Italy has a public system? And look, look what's happening there. It, clearly, it doesn't work. So Val- Valentina just wrote an article recently addressing some of the things that you just mentioned. But one of the main points that she's making is actually it's the attacks on the public system that have created some of these conditions. And it's the public system that's doing the work. They're, the public system in Italy is dealing with the crisis. The private system has been very hands off. And I know in your piece, Valley, you were mentioning that the government actually had to institute a law or make some sort of legal motion to basically force some of the private sector to actually take on some of the task of dealing with the coronavirus crisis. Yeah, I think probably Francisco can also tell us more about what actually happened on the ground. You know, I'm only, of course, not being there. I'm only reading about what's going on. So I know that, yeah, the private system did not really step up in this crisis and that at some point uh, the government did pass a law that would at least allow regions to you know, make requests to the private sector in terms of uh, staff and equipment and and just beds, I guess. But I also know that um, the actual implementation of these has, you know, been kind of uh, spotty at best. So maybe, yeah, maybe Francesco, if you want to tell us uh, more about that. I think... Clearly, all the the bird like the burden was carried by the public sector. Without the public sector, we would be in a much worse situation than now. Um, and it's true there have been some agreements between public, like the regions and private hospitals, about using some of the equipment and some of the structures of the private hospitals. But uh, actually, those have been. In, in regions like Campania, where I come from, like uh, where Na- Napoli is, um, the um, governor De Luca actually made an agreement that says that we are going to pay for using private structures and beds, which also is shows how if we had like a more investment in in the public sector, we did we wouldn't need that and uh, would actually make much more a better service for public rather than the private ones. That law was saying that the public sector can make some agreements with the private, but uh, it doesn't say that they can they can be without compensation. It's actually with compensation and it's pretty high compensation too. And we're talking about uh, a section of the private sector that already get public subsidies to begin with, right? So it's it actually gets compensated twice. I just want to confirm this. It's actually very, I think, might be very familiar process for Americans. But so you're talking about a private sector that's publicly subsidized, um, that's using public facilities and public resources, and now is being told they have to help and the government is paying them with tax money public money mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah, and they're also the same, like the fact that they generally use public facilities is also what then creates longer uh, waiting times for the public sector and so on. You know, the the whole idea that what's failing in Italy is a universal healthcare system is obscuring 20 years of slashing universal healthcare. The, the debates and discussion about the public health, uh, the national healthcare system now in Italy, I think it's quite advanced. And uh, I think that 
it's undoubtable that this crisis has sharply highlighted the irrational nature of a healthcare system structured around corporate profit. I mean, everyone, no one actually, no politicians now would say that they would do what they've been doing for the past decades in terms of budget cuts. I mean, everyone recognized the importance of national healthcare system now. And without it, well, the situation would be very grim. Even the right-wing parties are, are of that position right now? Yeah, yeah, of course. There are some discussions about the decentralization, like you know, some right-wing party are still saying that they want to keep their autonomy as a as region, in particular northern regions. But uh, no one is now doubting the importance of a public national healthcare system. A few weeks ago, when Donald Trump and his administration were still treating this like it was nothing and it was no big deal, and Americans, we don't need to worry, we're Americans. A week later, when they started to realize it was going to be a crisis, Mike Pence, our vice president, was very excited to announce, they've been using this term public-private partnership a lot. Uh, which is basically what you all just described, you know, uh, giving public money to private companies to do things that used to be in the public sector. And he was very excited. He was like, we have a terrific public-private partnership. And uh, the big thing he was announcing was that Walmart was going to let their parking lots be used to, to as medical facilities if needed. And I was like, what a selfless act by Walmart. But speaking of that, let's talk about uh, some of the actual support work that people are doing. And I know that Poterio Popolo, the political project and political party that both of you are part of, uh, has been doing a lot of mutual aid and direct support to people who, who need the most support. This is also something that's been happening in the U.S. And like we were talking earlier on the phone, Francesco, it's, it's wild to hear the term mutual aid being used even on the television news. You're seeing it all over the internet. People are talking about this idea of mutual aid. And a year ago, when we were in Italy, we were talking with people from Poterio Popolo specifically about mutual aid. So why don't you talk about what Italians are doing in response to this and also what Poterio Popolo and, and other folks from the grassroots left are doing as, as a response? I want to kind of like provide a, like a wide vision of what has Poterio Popolo is doing. It's true that mutual aid is an essential part of the program but it's not, not the only one it's also very true it's important that all across italy there have been that is a flourishing of mutual aid um, examples and uh, and uh, events and so on and so forth but um potera popolo is kind of once we have recognized that the only effective tool to contain the contagion was to limit contact among people. So we, as an organization, recognized that the, mo the most responsible thing to do was to avoid gathering demonstrations and including meeting assemblies. So uh, we had to shift to that kind of um, militancy that someone calls smart militancy. Um, I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so we closed our activities on the ground and we started to have meeting online online meetings and and we have identified three main fields of intervention one is the mutual aid programs so which are aimed particularly to support local communities the second is worker struggle support uh, which is i think is a is a is a very crucial field at the moment and the third is an intervention in public debate um, through social media for instance right 
mutual aid program, we have different programs. The main one at the moment is focused on assisting people with food parcels. So mostly the most vulnerable section of our communities. And obviously the idea is not only to provide a service, but to provide um, an example that self-organized network based on values like like solidarity can function without the support of institutions. And um, it works particularly also in situations in which this system constantly criminalizes poverty and consequently criminalize sections of our population. So we start crowdfunding and uh, to gather some resources, and it's con- currently going very well. We, as um, as we could expect, it, we have a quite wide range of people who asked for support, and we, we through the program we are trying to grow our roots in our local community to support our local community, but also to increase consciousness about the situation, why it's happening and what are the possible measures that we could take to overcome this situation. And the second field of intervention is worker support. Uh, And we also, in some ways, we organized, we set up a hotline, we call it the red line, and it can be used by any workers anywhere in Italy who need assistance in relation to issues in workplaces that are related to the crisis. And also there, we received hundreds of calls by workers who were forced to work without uh, adequate protective equipment or in places where it was very difficult to maintain the safety distance or workers who, ha- who were subjected to illegal retrenchments. And so uh, we, we provide uh, support in three ways. One is through legal assistance. So we put them in con- like we put them in contact with some comrades uh, work as labor lawyers or have knowledge about the legal aspects. And then we su- like provide supports putting those the workers who called us, putting them in contact with other comrades who are on the ground uh, close to their workplaces. And then we also uh, help to connect workers with other fellow workers who work in the same industrial sectors who are facing similar issues so they can share experience and possibly coordinate some actions. And then the third field of intervention is about the intervention in public debates. Uh, and, uh, and we do things that is needed more than ever. So we have enhanced our activities in, uh, on social networks, on, webs- on our website, on campaigns, um, so, for instance, we are running a campaign to highlight the importance of the national healthcare system, but uh, also to make the people who brought the national health system to this situation accountable for what they have done. So, like, is a is a matter of stressing the importance of memory, in particular in a process of such fast transformation. Then we also run campaigns for the closure of all non-essential production activities for particular events, for instance, when the Cuban doctors came in Lombardy, a region that is managed by a right-wing governor, uh, I think it was important also to stress that contradiction, or campaigns to report the condition of prisoners during the pandemic, or to stress the condition of uh, undocumented migrants and to push for regularization of of their condition. And so we also did like organized few educational events like a web webinar 
uh, and so on and so forth. You just mentioned the prisoners. There was huge, I mean, pretty significant prison revolts happening a few weeks ago in Italy. Do you want to maybe just talk about that and, and what's the current situation in the prisons? So that was one of the main, or the, the, the significant revolts happened, occurred at the beginning of the spreading of the pandemic. And that was because there were some measures were taken in theory to prevent the spreading of the virus within the prisons, but actually they were taken without taking consideration the needs of the people that are the, the currently in prisons. So, for instance, if you close down all all the possibilities for inmates to meet their parent, like they 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 relatives it's actually and so that you leave the inmates without knowing what's happening outside how or you're living like their relatives without knowing what's happening inside the prisons you create um situation of chaos and uh, you obviously you know help to prevent the spread of fear it's also that prisons are overcrowded significantly overcrowded in Italy, and there is the absence, total absence of any necessary. Um, how do you say in English? Um, What's the word? What do you want to say? Che non ci sono le condizioni igieniche e salute, cioè per per prevenire una diffusione del virus nelle carceri, perché sono. The health and hygienic hygienic standards are not there. To prevent contagion? Yeah, they're overcrowded, they lack of sanitation, they lack of protective equipment. And it was and um, you know, you can't say to people wash your hands and stay one meters away, two meters away from your fellow inmates when you know you are like six in one room and you and you spend the whole day in a very small room and um, without any mask or any sanitizer or anything so i think it was a huge mistake in the way in which the the the, the, the institutions were dealing with the situations in uh, in these structures and this led to obviously mass there were several significant revolts and also to the killing of people in several prisons and this killing happened without a clarification of how actually I shouldn't say killings because it's alleged killings. But uh, it's obviously that the situation wasn't dealt very well. You're listening to Hope Dies Last. Normally I would make a pitch here for my sustainer program, but instead I'm going to ask you to take the money that you have available to do something like that and donate it somewhere locally or internationally where it's going to go to helping folks on the front line of this crisis. But do subscribe to the podcast. I have a bunch of other episodes with some really great political material, some really good discussions, and some really illuminating perspectives. Check it out and uh, enjoy the rest of the episode, y'all. So in terms of the labor struggle and, and this argument around what is essential work, we've in the U.S., we've been seeing recently, just a few days ago, Amazon workers in a few different cities walked off the job. You know, and this also came after Jeff Bezos, who obviously the CEO of Amazon, recommended that people donate money to the Amazon Support Fund. 
there was all this anger brewing and there's been anger brewing around people like Jeff Bezos. He also owns one of our major newspapers, the Washington Post. And people are still working in these Amazon warehouses without protective equipment. There were cases of coronavirus in those factories. They were still being made to go to work. They were being lied to about the number of cases. And people had started walking off the job. So in the U.S., that's a pretty big deal for us. But I know in Italy, you've had strikes. You also had a general strike specifically in relation to this. Do you want to talk maybe about some of that type of activity? I mean, since the beginning of the quarantine, we had an intensification of workers' struggle. So we had wildcat strikes, work stoppages, tools down. In only few days, the list of workplaces affected by workers' mobilization became pretty extensive. Um, and both across regions and across industrial sectors. We also had strikes in Amazon, in Castel San Giovanni, or like ArcelorMittal, or the Cornelian in Mantova, the Electrolux, the Fiat Chrysler in Pomigliano, the Fincantieri in Porto Marghera, and Piaggio and Whirlpool, just to mention a few. And the main data nature of workers' mobilization was the absence of minimum protective equipment and safety standards. So, yeah, workers demonstrated against the absence of what is called the necessary physical distance between workstations, right? And also the um, unavoidable assembling in common areas, such as corridors or assembly lines, the, well, the equipment, and also the absence of processes of sanification or sanitation. And I think there was um, an amazing evidence of class autonomy. I mean, the fact that they workers recognize autonomously, also sometimes preceding trade unions, that strikes uh, on the strikes were the path towards the affirmation of a simple principle that health and and safety on workplace comes before profit. And since then, also the trade unions in some ways supported those struggles. Grassroots trade unions organized a general strike on the 25th. Um, and we had like grassroots trade unions in the logistics sector also organized several strikes. And institutional trade unions organized um, strikes in, in Lombardy and in Lazio as well, eight-hour strikes, the day of the general strike called by the Unione Sindacale di Base. So, yeah, there were like... Um, a number, a significant number of strikes. And I think that they were the reason why we managed to have probably the 50% of business closed down and considered non-essential. But the struggle is still on because, as I said earlier, it's actually the struggle moved from the closure of non-essential production to the meaning of essential. Clearly, there's no doubt that, uh, you know, nurses, doctors, um, healthcare workers in general, there's no doubt around the necessity <laughs> of their work right now. But at the same time, as you mentioned earlier, and as we are seeing here in the US, they do too lack critical personal protective equipment. And so I'm just curious about what healthcare workers have been doing in Italy to protect themselves or to demand access to protective equipment. Has there been anything going on, you know, considering that, of course, they cannot, as other workers, just go on strike or, you know, not show up at work? Okay, firstly, I have to say that I forgot to say it earlier, is that um, this situation kind of pr um, prepared the terrain, the ground for a, a change in the narrative of what 
like about the medical staff. Now doctors and all medical staff is considered a sort of national hero, like they are national heroes because they are on the front line and they are risking their life to fight against the coronavirus and to protect the the people of our country. But I think it's a very, I mean, it's very ironic that the people who are promoting this narrative are the ones who are who should be accountable for, or, or are the ones that have cut the budget and the fundings to towards the national healthcare system and and this contradiction has been raised and stressed by the medical staff nurses and doctors that they they actually have complained uh, significantly for the lack of protective equipment and for the difficult conditions in which they are working at the moment because of understaff and you, you know you have like 12 hours shift and it's difficult to keep focused uh, in a very dangerous situation for 12 hours so i think they have some of the workers have uh, supported the strike the general strike some of the workers have reported the situa- the conditions to a uh, regional local or national newspaper and they uh, were trying to make the other hear their voice uh, even if they can't stop working and they have to keep on doing their duties at the moment so i think they they are trying to they're not silent at the moment they're trying to make other people hearing their voice because this is a, a crucial they realize that this is a crucial moment in which everyone recognizes the importance of the national healthcare system and uh, we we know that we can gain some uh, important uh, advancement for the for the health of the majority of the people now that the situation is so clear evident to everyone that we need a well-funded a functioning national healthcare system to have a decent society a society that can work and and in a way that we can face events like this pandemic Francesca, we're about out of time, but I wanted to ask, what do you, and, and also, I don't know if this is a discussion that folks at Poterio Popolo have had, but how do you think this crisis is going to end, and, and how do you see it impacting the larger political... I, I guess the question is, like, here it feels like, how are people ever going to go back to what we thought was normal? And a lot of us have been saying this for a long time, that normal is gone. Yeah, This has been the discourse between Bernie Sanders and and Joe Biden and pretty much all the other candidates has been, you know, the Democratic Party is saying, oh, we want to go back to the Obama years. And the Bernie people have been saying the Obama years are over. We These are the Trump years. It's different. The world is different. There's no going back. People who believe that are, are only going to be very let down and very shocked over and over. And now this feels like I, I don't I it doesn't feel real enough to me yet to understand how to even think what's it gonna look like in two months, this country. I think I think you're right. I think like we we don't know where we're going, but I think we definitely know that nothing is gonna be as it was before the coronavirus. I think we this is a period of profound transformations. And the problem is that it can go either way. You know, in some ways there could be a risk of an authoritarian shift, you know, in this state of exceptionality. For instance, people are praising the strict control measures, the increased surveillance. You know, 
through the help of technology and like you know we are we are witnessing the use of drones to to control people the gps to track mobile phone to see you know if you if you got close to uh, someone who was positive these kind of things that are useful but they are very dangerous but at the same time these people these periods are also periods in which things that previously seemed impossible because they were considered too radical are now considered as unsatisfactory reforms for instance as i as i said about the national healthcare system no one would even try to say that we need to rationalize or cut the budget of the national public health system now in italy because it actually showed the ra- irrational nature of this idea of making money out of care and like uh, leaving to the, like uh, yeah give the responsibility of our health to the market, right? And, and and everyone now agrees in 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 Italy about that. It is not time of austerity policies anymore. Austerity policies are over. And if you look at other examples like the nationalization of the railways in the UK, or some bailouts and nationalization of companies uh, in Italy, I think I think it's a, these are pretty interesting times where. A lot of things can happen. I, I think that it is clear that uh, from this crisis that capitalism, this system, this economic and social system was not working in terms of organizing our society and social relations was simply not working. It was not able to protect our lives and it was not able to allow us to develop our lives. So we, for instance, this system made us completely unprepared to face this pandemic and this situation is going to cost us tens of thousands of lives, hundreds of thousands of lives worldwide. So like the awareness of this situation is there, I think, but we need to bring this awareness to a socialist trajectory. And Potato Popolo is kind of trying to articulate this trajectory, not only in ideological terms, but also through, through a social intervention. And this is what we discussed earlier in terms of organizing, right? Mutual aid programs, support workers struggle, intervention in public debates. So like, the objective conditions are there, but it's up to us and to our activities uh, to promote and to build the subjective conditions together. I mean, it's a green period, but it's also open to many possibilities. And actually, well, our possibilities, they can look to us as necessities if we want to protect our lives. Francesco, thank you for speaking with us. And Valentina, thank you, of course, for sitting next to me and speaking as well. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Valentina, for inviting Potato Popolo here. Hope Dies Last is recorded by me, Ryan Harvey. Special thank you to our guest today and to everyone from Potere Popolo. Stay tuned. I've got another episode special on the coronavirus with some medical workers in New York City. Please be safe out there. Take this shit seriously. And uh, we'll talk to you in two weeks. Thanks for listening, y'all.